ghouls and fiends, welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Ministry of Horror. Um, first time being directly on Twitch, I think. I'm, I'm fairly sure when the show started last year. I've no idea when we started. Um, it was going out on Twitch, YouTube, so on and so forth. A couple of other places that no one, no one looks. Uh, but yeah, we are, we're back. We're back now on Twitch. So thank you for joining. If you're watching this live, of course, uh, this will be going out on podcast platforms, I think, the week afterwards. New show format is uh, we're now going to be doing Friday nights as opposed to Tuesday nights. And it's going to be every other every other week so you get about two two shows two podcasts a month um but that way i mean it spaces things out a bit it gives me a bit of time to actually focus and prepare something for the show he says with quite a slimline show tonight we don't have so much as a uh featured presentation which we normally do the format originally was you know we have news reviews homework then jump into featured presentation, like a key talking point. We will have those at some point, but only really when there's something kind of worth talking about or something I'm passionate to talk about. Um, shoehorning it in for the sake of it is just it's kind of a waste of everyone's time, really. Um, so it's going to be a fairly short-ish show tonight. Uh, but if you're watching this live on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Tezius, Join in in the live chat. Um, we will be doing our usual Friday night watch party after the show. Okay, so we'll be doing our usual kind of Ministry of Horror show. I'll hit stop on the recording, um, and I'll you know I'll sort out the I'll sort out the podcast next week or at the weekend. But then we'll have you know we'll maybe take like a short thirty second break or something to grab a drink, and we'll jump into a watch party or two. Or three, probably not three. <laughs> Maybe just the one film tonight, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But um, yeah, whether you're a returning listener, thank you very much for coming uh, coming by. Or whether you're new, uh, please you know give the channel a follow. Really is appreciated. We are aiming for, although I don't have the banner on here, aiming for 70, 70 followers. We're at 61 at the moment, so we're not far off. Not far off. This is a very much a fledgling channel. It's been around a little while, but... In terms of be putting any effort in, it's been very fledgling, I think is uh, <laughs> it's still fair to say. Okakoki. So, what's been new with me? Um, if you've not been following my streams, you know, just a, a listener of Ministry of Horror, um, I took January off of doing the show, and, and the, the very, very end of, uh, I think the last week of December, uh, just to take a little break from scheduled streaming um and just digest things a bit you know we'd had quite a, a slow december um and just the, the the youtube numbers in general i know youtube numbers dip in, in in december but in general things just weren't kind of growing at the same rate that they kind of had been we need to look and reevaluate things and this is for this show along with the the ministry of slam which which i'm involved in with lawrence um who does Pretty much all the work on that show, you know. Mad, mad props to Lawrence there. Uh, so I thought I wanted to take a little bit of time off. I want to put the show on a brief, brief hiatus, um, and you know, just kind of relax, get back into doing odd bit of uh, streaming on Twitch here and there, watch some films in my in my own time, 
I'd, I'd had the mammoth task in October of watching a horror film every day, and I did it, and I enjoyed it. Um, but then when we then entered a period, kind of the tail end of November, especially December, where there was real kind of slim pickings on new horror films, uh, it really kind of affected the ability to review anything because there was, wasn't really much to, to watch. Uh, but we've got a few things to review today a bit later on. But yeah, other than that, I've been streaming on here. Um, I've been reading a hell of a lot, so people who don't know, I, I do uh, this English literature course. And you have to read fairly quickly for that. Well, I've read... Normally, it takes me about two months, three months to read a novel. I'm quite a slow reader. I'm an avid reader, but a slow reader. I've read five novels in January already. Uh, I'm currently a week into reading The Gunslinger by Stephen King. I've got the uh, the Dark Tower book series. I'm giving it another go. I'm, I'm enjoying it much more on a second attempt. I'd previously read books one to three, started four, and thought, oh, I just don't really care. Just I'm not, I've not really enjoyed them that much. Kind of knowing a bit more about The Dark Tower as a whole and jumping back into The Gunslinger, book one, I'm having a much better time, honestly. I was I was expecting to just go... Well, let's just read through this. I don't remember this one being very good, and get onto the drawing of the three, which was which was pretty good. But no, knowing a lot more about how the overall world works and connects, I am having actually a really good time reading the Gunslinger, and just being able to read a bit quicker than I used to. The simple process is you pick up a book. Uh, I've got here a Diary of Delirium. Uh, you can buy that on um, on Amazon. A short story, and it was written by me. Um, and you simply. You simply just run your... I mean, obviously, if you're listening to this, it'll make no difference. Simply just running your finger along the line underneath. And it's something you learn at school and think, oh, right, well, surely you only need to do it when you're at school. It makes speed reading or reading quicker a lot uh, a lot easier, a lot more feasible, has to be said. So, basically, what I've been doing in January is reading <laughs> from that um but we're happy i'm happy to return to doing the show uh we'll see how this kind of format goes um aiming for every other week who knows we'll, we'll see we'll see how uh how that works out but as we normally do we're going to dive into the news in a bit and then after that i've got a few films that i'm going to review and one of them is the new film um that has been getting a lot of media recently uh if you just google it places like the guardian the mail and stuff are talking about it as is this the new scariest film ever or the new scariest film of the last 10 years uh, it's getting that treatment which i always do think is a little bit of a death knell and it's kind of almost sets things up as uh, there's a ceiling on this and people are going to have expectations and i think people will have expectations and i don't think that's wise um we will be talking about skinnamarink so i'm going to be reviewing that and i am just going to talk about that a bit more in depth than i am my other two reviews but we've got three reviews on the show so that third review skinnamarink um is kind of going to form the basis of the main discussion as it were uh but we will get to that in due course so first up we have some news now do i still have my music do I still have my music? If you hang up on me again, I'll cut you like a fish, understand? Um, there we go. There's, there's all my sound bites. There's all my sound bites. So first up, coming from bloodydisgusting.com, 
Seven new horror movies releasing this week, including Knock at the Cabin. So these are new releases coming uh, pretty much the week up to today. <laughs> uh, so this is this this uh, list normally comes out on Tuesday, which is when we used to do the show. So we're kind of running a little bit behind, but meh. We'll again, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so Brad Anderson, who did Session Nine and The Machinist, is back with psychological horror movie Blood. Uh, and in the wake of the film's theatrical release last week, it's now available on VOD today. Um, I'll drop a link in the chat for this page because there are trailers. Check them out if you wish. Michelle Monaghan of True Detective stars along Skeet Ulrich of Scream, Finlay Watchtar Hisong, Rodrigo Belfus. I haven't missed trying to pronounce names that I'm awful at pronouncing. Eric Atherfail, June B. Wild, and Skylar Morgan-Jones. The film follows Jess, played by Monaghan, a nurse and mother recently separated from her husband, played by Skeet Ulrich, who moves with her daughter Tyler and young son Owen back into their old farmhouse. Shortly after setting in, uh, settling in, Owen's dog escapes into the woods and returns days later blood-soaked and rabid. When he attacks and bites Owen, the resulting infection from the bite grows more alarmingly by the day, as Owen's behaviour becomes frightening and deadly. As he spirals deep into the depths of the illness, Jess discovers a disturbing cure, which makes her question how far she is willing to go to keep her child alive. That sounds kind of interesting, like a... a Cujo, but the infection gets passed on to someone. That's the focus, as opposed to the attacking rabid dog. There is a link for the trailer. Not watched it, but oh, I don't know. That sounds interesting enough. One of the stills looks pretty creepy. Kid with his face covered in blood. <laughs> uh, next up, Cinedigum, Bloody Disgusting, and Screenbox recently acquired Young Min Kim's dramatic horror Dawning, and the film is now streaming exclusively on the Screenbox platform. In the film. Hyjin Park, a trauma therapist, is forced to face her family's darkest past when she returns to her childhood countryside farm to console her heartbroken younger sister. Dawning stars Kim Ellis, Una Kim, and Veronica Kim, and played at Panic Fest, Asian American International Film Festival, Calm Fest, Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, and the Heartland International Film Festival. Now, there is a trailer it's not showing as available in my country, so that's a shame. Oh shit! Okay, okay. Now this is this this you get a genuine reaction because I haven't actually looked at this list previously. Tuesday's final new offering: Vipco and Bayview Entertainment released director Skip Shear's indie horror movie Seeds today, now available on both DVD as well as VOD outlets. Seeds is Shear's second feature, and it won the Rondo Award for 2020's Best Independent Film. In the film, a grieving mother holds on to her Catholic faith as her husband leaves to study and learn the secrets of an old New England cult. Secrets that the Catholic Church wants for their own use. Meanwhile, the cult has deadly plans of their own. Barbara, Magno Mag Barbara Magnolfi of Suspiria and Kip Wilkes, Weeks of The Strangers lead the cast of Seeds alongside Emma McKenzie, Patrick Bracken, Rick Johnson, Nicole Watson, Aurora Gabriel, Bella Maderos, Demetri Kasperson, and Skip Shear. Now, funny thing, the reason I reacted to this, so when I was running, when I was doing a lot of the running, <laughs> the majority of the running at times, uh, when I was running Vipco, 
um, I had a lot of contact with Skip, Skipshare. So in one of our releases, um, which uh, me and Peter Goddard wrote and directed the wraparound story for, Vipco's Vault of Terror anthology, Skip's short film, Priest Hunter, or Priest Killer, Priest Hunter, I think, was involved in that. Um, he'd also, for the film festival that I ran for Vipco, um, submitted a short Ave Maria, which featured it won an award in that. And he'd submitted his feature, Seeds. Now, I was trying to sign Seeds up to Vipco, and we had a long negotiation about it. In the end, um, he decided it just wasn't fiscally a good enough deal at that time, you know, what we could offer as the independent Vipco. So he ended up signing with Bayview eventually. And then eventually Bayview bought Vipco. So that's, uh, yeah, that's cool. That is cool. Skip's a really cool guy, really nice guy. And the film's decent. I'm not just saying that because, you know, the previous affiliation, like, I mean, I have connections to Vipco slash Bayview still, but I don't work there. I don't work for them. So I have no benefit to uh, promote it. But, uh, yeah, get check it out. That's cool. Uh, in the wake of the film, next up, the wake of the film making $1.8 million in the limited theatrical release, the ultra-creepy Skinnamarink is now coming home courtesy of Shudder, which is now available. In Skinnamarink, two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all the windows and doors in the home have vanished. To cope with the strange situation, the two bring pillows and blankets to the living room and settle into a quiet slumber party situation. They play well-worn videotapes of cartoons to fill the silence of the house and distract from the frightening and inexplicable situation, all the while in the hopes that eventually some grown-ups will come to rescue them. However, after a while it becomes clear that something is watching over them. Lucas Poole, Dally Rose Tucho, Ross Poole and Jamie Hill star. And next up, M. Night Shyamalan's is back with the Paul Tremblay adaptation Knock at the Cabin. And this latest thriller from Universal is coming exclusively to theatres on Friday, February 3rd, today. Dave Bautista of Army of the Dead, Rupert Grint, uh, Nikki Amuk-Bird um, star alongside Ben Aldrich and Jonathan Groff. Oh, fuck, from Mindhunter. I've seen the trailer. That's where I recognise him from, one of, the, one of the actors in the trailer. In Rock of the Cabin... While vacationing at a remote cabin, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand that the family make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. With limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. Universal Pictures presents a Blinding Edge Pictures production in association with Film Nation Features and Wishmore Entertainment. Um, the screenplay is you know, blah, 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 blah. So this looks pretty interesting. I mean, Dave Bautista doesn't really make bad films is pretty wise with the choices he makes i mean the only film i think i've seen of his which was a bit naff i mean he was in a kickboxer film but i mean uh, kickboxer films you know what you're getting uh he was in this film i think it's called the wrong side of town with rvd and there might have been another wrestler now i'm not sure but rvd was kind of the main character i'm pretty sure batista has a very very small role in that film but generally his last few years of releases have all been pretty good from what i've seen um, the only one that I may say is a personal thing, personal preference wasn't, and it wasn't even his performance really at all, his performance was great, um, was uh, Dune I remember being kind of hyped to watch Dune, even though I haven't read the books, I haven't seen any previous adaptations I watched Dune part one or chapter one, whatever it's called in the cinema I thought it was kind of guff 
it was just i don't know if it didn't happen that it was like three hours long but and maybe if i've read the book i might have a bit more connection to the to it didn't like it but other than that batista i mean I, I you know he seems to make good choices so fair play to him next up builders norway's very first werewolf movie viking wolf is being unleashed by netflix this week and you'll be able to stream it here in the united states well it's not here in the uk uh on friday in viking wolf from director stig svensson a 17 year old thale must move with her parents to a small town when her mother gets a job at a local police department after a student is brutally murdered at a party that Thale attends, she suddenly becomes a key witness. Who, or rather what, was the killer? Spoilers, it's definitely a werewolf. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, there's a trailer for that. It's a Netflix film. Um, I haven't no, I haven't been on Netflix today, so I, haven't, I can't say if it's available in the UK, but uh, Netflix... I don't know, I was going to say Netflix, we generally get things at the same sort of time as the US in terms of exclusives. Not really. We didn't get, I don't think we've ever got the monsters over here, which probably a blessing in disguise because that film was shite, <laughs> in my opinion. If you enjoyed it, fair play, cool to you. Um, you know, as we've said here in the past of this show, like what you like, don't like what you don't like, but don't attack people for their opinions and what they enjoy. Um, and then, finally, of the new films, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Noemi Melant, Kit Harrington, and Meredith Hagner star in the latest magnet horror movie, Baby, Ru Baby Ruby, which is set to deliver postpartum terror in early 2023. It's out on digital today. The film tells the story of Joe, a successful lifestyle entrepreneur who is happily pregnant, awaiting the arrival of her first child. But soon after, Joe welcomes baby Ruby home. Something starts to feel off. Even though she is assured it's all perfectly normal, is something wrong with her? Is something wrong with Ruby? And why are the seemingly perfectly perfect neighborhood moms so desperate to befriend her? Uh, as Joe fights to protect herself and her baby, she is plunged into a waking fever dream where everyone is a threat and nothing is what it seems. At last, she must confront the truth of her own darkness and contend with the ultimate human sacrifice, the one mothers make for their children. So it's another thing of making a sacrifice for your kids. Obviously, it seems like a very, very different story to um, Blood. But that was another one where a mother has to make a uh, horrible choice to save their child. Parents love their kids, I guess. <laughs> okay, so moving on with our next piece of news. Now, Stephen King fans, holler, holler if, uh, if you're out there. Billy Summers, J.J. Abrams and Leonardo DiCaprio producing film adaptation of Stephen King novel, which I do have... Well, I don't need to grab it. It's on the bottom shelf behind me. But I do have it, and it's a very good novel. Not a horror. It's uh, more of a thriller. Uh, drama. Drama thriller. Dramedy. No. Uh, published in 2021, Stephen King's novel Billy Summers is the next King tale to get a film adaptation. Which, I mean, the story reads like it could easily be a film production. With some of Stephen King's books, you get, you get a very clear idea that well, this could easily become a film. Like... How could they fuck this up? Other ones, I mean, with with it, obviously there's a particular scene which is infamous because it's just wrong. But there's a lot of metaphysical stuff, meta stuff in, in regards to Matar and the turtle and uh, the ritual of Tude. 
how would you produce that on screen? Not sure. And I recently finished Fairy Tale. So one of the books that I read in January was Fairy Tale, which is about 570 pages or 545, I'm not sure. And uh, some of the stuff in that book, particularly I think in the finale, I'm not entirely sure how they produce. It's not as out there as some other stuff, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it, it begs the question of how how plausible it would be to do that well. But Billy Summers, I mean, it's, I think that's ripe for a film adaptation. The original plan was for Billy Summers to be adap adapted as a limited series. Um, but Deadline confirms the project is now taking shape as a feature film. J.J. Abrams will produce for Bad Robot, while Leonardo DiCaprio will also produce for Appian Way. The adaptation is being written by Ed Zwick and Marshall Heskovich. Don't know those names. Deadline notes, if this comes out great, it could be a project for Abrams to direct with DiCaprio playing the title character. Stay tuned for more on the Billy Summers movie as we learn it. Uh, Billy Summers is a hitman who is looking to retire and takes one last highly lucrative job to feather his nest. The job requires him to embed himself in a quiet town where he pretends to be an aspiring writer. He actually pours himself into his prose. Uh, he sets up an office with a direct view of where hitman Joel Allen will be delivered to face trial for shooting two men during a poker game. Allen has also committed enough murders for some high-level mobsters to be scared the gunman will incriminate his former employers to lessen his sentence. Summers, a meticulous craftsman, becomes more and more cynical about the mobsters who have hired him, and his scepticism is well warranted as things go awry following completion of the job. I mean, that does give away a fair bit of the, uh, the story, but there's still a fair lot of um, a fair lot to go through with uh, with that. But Billy Summers, I mean, I could see Leonardo DiCaprio playing Billy. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. I'm all for that, I don't care, yeah. So, for people who have Screenbox and are fans of Bollywood, good news. Bollywood remakes of Scream, Fright Night and The Eye are on Screenbox right now. Um, so, this comes from Brad Mishka, by Disgusting. Uh, we're so excited about Scream 6 that we went a little crazy. Now streaming exclusively on Screenbox is Shh, the incredibly rare Indian Scream remake in which a masked killer meets musical numbers. Uh, <laughs> in the 2003 film, a serial killer is responsible for taking many lives, including that of Malini and her boyfriend. The police are unable to comprehend, especially when this killer leaves no evidence at every crime. Uh, but there's more. Screenbox is now the home of two other Bollywood remakes. Nina, a supernatural horror inspired by the eye, and Neighbours, a vampire tale that borrows from Fright Night. In Nina, after receiving a, an eye transplant, a young woman realises that she can see into the supernatural world. As for Neighbours, when a horror-obsessed teenager learns that her next-door neighbours are vampires, no one will believe her. Um... I've never watched a Bollywood film. I hear they're a lot of fun. I also hear that they're kind of mainly musicals. We know my opinion on musicals. Yeah, okay. Moving on. <laughs> so this film is another film that's been talked about next that I have heard a lot of buzz about. Buzz kind of, not quite at the levels of Barbarian, but similar sort of levels, I guess, to Skinner Marink, leading up to its release. 
This is the Outwaters. Peek into hell and get a taste of what they saw with these clips and posters. Um, so again, Brad Mishka, Blood Disgusting. Next week, Blood Disgusting and Screenboxes, The Outwaters, officially begins its limited theatrical run on February 9th. While the film's performance ultimately will decide just how much it expands, we're kicking the hype up to 11 on the cosmic horror that critics are calling suffocating and terrifying. If you want to witness a film truly descend straight into the pits of depravity, the Outwater slow rolls into the seven levels of hell and can only be described as Blair Witch Project meets Event Horizon. The film takes viewers off the beaten path and into their own nightmares. Believe the hype. Okay. Okay. When people say believe the hype, it's, I mean, it's one of those things. There's clips... Um, and there's images. I'll put the link in the chat in case you want to check it out. I I do often find when things are, are hyped up, and obviously the purpose of hype is to get people intrigued, build hype, make people go to the cinema to watch it. But when there's these comments of scariest thing ever, it will terrify you. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard that praise and then watched something and then thought, holy shit, they were right. I've heard praise like, oh, this is a great horror, and I've watched it and gone, oh, yeah, actually, that was really good, or that exceeded my expectations, or that wasn't as good as I was expecting. You know, that, that sort of thing is kind of commonplace, you know. It can, it depends really on, I guess, where you're hearing the hype from, where you're hearing the reviews from. If you often find that you agree with that reviewer or that publication then that probably is a good barometer to if you think oh my expectations are probably going to be met based on what's been set by these comments but whenever i hear this is this is terrifying believe the hype this was scary never does and that's not me trying to be billy big bollocks like i've watched enough things where i've gone like shit that's put the creepers up me that's freaked me out a little bit. When I'm told things are going to be really scary, it's not often the case. Rarely ever is actually the case. It's more accurate. But I have seen the trailer for The Outwaters. It looks intriguing. I like the tone of it. It has this kind of found footage, kind of 70s, early 80s kind of aesthetic to it. It looks a bit crazy. But, yeah, I... Uh, I'm intrigued to watch it, but I'm not going in with super, super hype levels. Um, I guess we'll kind of hear what the initial reviews are like when it's out. I mean, I, I say that because the limited theatrical release, I doubt, will be in the UK. And we don't get screen box over here, so I'd imagine this will be a shutter release whenever it does come to the UK. Uh, okay, TV news next. Anne Rice's Mayfair Witches has been renewed for season two at AMC. Uh, at, at a time when TV shows are being cancelled left and right, it's always nice to report that one has been renewed. AMC is all in on their small screen Anne Rice universe. And Blood Disgusting has learnt this morning that Anne Rice's Mayfair Witches has been renewed for season two. Haven't seen season one. I don't know if we get that in the UK or if we do what platform it's on. I, I believe we do get an AMC Plus over here, but I've never, I've never looked at it. Um, the brand new series is an adaptation of Anne Rice's novels in the Mayfair Witches Saga, and it premiered on January 8th on AMC and AMC Plus. AMC's Interview with the Vampire was also recently renewed for a second season. Now, I was aware of that show, 
haven't seen it. I've seen obviously the film, never read the book, never read an Anne Rice book. Um, the success of both Mayfair Witches and Interview of the Vampire once again illustrates the strength and mastery of Anne Rice's work, said AMC's Mark Johnson. The fact that these first two shows are performing so splendidly with a TV audience gives us much prize in what we've already done and great anticipation for the storytelling opportunities yet to come. Alexandra Dardario, Harry Hamlin and Annabeth Gish star in Mayfair Witches with Jack Houston playing the shape-shifting Lasher. Okay. Okay. Um, now, in regards to not so much Mayfair Witches, because I don't know anything about that project, but... Um, uh, interview with the vampire so speaking of vampire tv i have recently watched the first couple of episodes of reginald the vampire uh starring the lad that is peter parker's friend in the newer spider-man films um not for me <laughs> not for me it's one of those kind of shows where it feels like it feels like from the presentation of the fonts and the lighting and some of the actors that it's going for a comedic vibe but it's not really it's more drama than anything there's not really any comedy in it and it's also it's not like it's trying to be funny but it's not being funny no it's not really a comedy show but it just has this the, the tone and appearance and actors yeah it's it's an odd one but yeah i've watched two episodes and i thought for me is that it's not either a funny or b scary vampires so why 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 continue watching in my opinion uh now we've got two more little bits of news left so terrifier 2 director damien leone teases an upcoming horror movie with sam raimi's ghost house pictures uh, fresh off last year's box office success, Terrifier 2, released in theatres by Buddy Discussing and Cynodigum, director Damien Leone is now teasing a collaboration with producer Sam Raimi. Leone tells Insider this week, there is an original project I have in development with Ghost House Pictures, which is Sam Raimi's production company. So if that happens, that would be amazing, he adds. I'm really hoping that that could happen before Terrifier 3, or it might happen right after. We'll see. Back up a second at Terrifier 3. Yes, Leon is planning on bringing Art the Clown and Sienna back for at least one more movie, which he's currently writing as you're reading this. I am writing Terrifier 3 as we speak, Leon tells the site. I definitely want to make at least one more. There may be two to tell this story and tackle all the ideas that I have in my head, because there's a lot more to explore with Art the Clown, the pale girl, Victoria, and certainly Sienna as our final girl. We'll be following her journey back. We'll be following her journey to the end of this franchise. As for the project with Ghost House, no official announcement has been made at this time, and we're also in the dark about plot details. But be sure to stay tuned for more as we learn. So Damien Lone working on a project with Sam Raimi. Now, regardless of my feelings on Terrifier One and All Hallows Eve, I like the look of his films. They do have this unique kind of a VH, VHS look in 4K, well, maybe not 4K, in HD, if that makes sense. There's this certain aesthetic that he does have, which I can only really attribute to the films I've seen of his, not really many others, where there's just this kind of mixture of kind of like giallo lighting to a degree, not full-on giallo. Um, 
And obviously, Hallmark Fears is uh, over-the-top gore. Now, I did generally enjoy Terrifier 2. I've never gone back to rewatch it. I did st- I did try sharing a friend of mine. And within the first half, 20 minutes, it was just like, it really isn't really pleasant viewing, is it? Like, it's just way too over-the-top. I think it's decent enough for, for one watch, and it's a huge improvement on the first film. But, you know, it's it's not something I'm going to find myself rewatching you know, again and again and again. That is for sure. But I mean, yeah, Terrifier three. I'm I'd be interested. You know, I enjoyed the second one enough for, for me to be interested in the third one. When he talks about having ideas for maybe two more films, like a three and a four, I'm always very hesitant when people are planning films like a number of films ahead in advance because I just think, I mean, come on, the people really have that many good ideas that it can't be contained into one film. Mm, it's not often the case, is it? It isn't often the case. I mean, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, that could have been one film. They could have taken the best parts from those films, or they could have just had Halloween 2018. We've already got off talking about Halloween Ends again every fucking time. I was telling myself before doing the show, I'm just not going to talk about Halloween Ends at all for the return, because it became such a benchmark of the show previously. But yeah, um, yeah I, I kind of think... I'm interested enough to see a return. But the one thing with Terrifier 2, obviously if you don't like Over the Top Core, you won't like Terrifier 2 or the Terrifier films, um, is that it was like over two hours long. It might have been two and a half hours or like two hours ten. I can't remember exactly, but it was a long film. And for a horror, a gore splatter-based horror, that is quite long. It didn't necessarily drag at all. You know, things did move along all right, and most of the acting was was decent. There's some acting which was quite bad in it, you know, like noticeably bad. The the mother of the main characters and the, the little brother, he was quite shit. Um, but it did good enough. It did good enough. But um, if if he's got if he's got ideas for a third film, I'd expect the third film to be a bit more kind of condensed down. Terrifier two did not need to be over two hours long. Um. And I, I feel pretty confident saying that. Um, um, okay. <laughs> Moving on then from our last piece to our last piece of news. Oh, pop-up privacy blocking. Whoops. Some sad news from this week. Actor, stuntman, and Michael Myers performer George P. Wilbur has passed away. Um... Again, Blood Disgusting, John Squires, uh, reports that Blood Disgusting has learnt the sad news this afternoon that actor and stuntman George P. Wilbur has passed away at 81 years old. So this was yesterday. Um, A member of the Hollywood Stuntman's Hall of Fame, George P. Wilbur is most known to horror fans for playing Michael Myers in both Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Wilbur is one of only a small handful of actors to play Michael Myers more than once. He was also a stunt player on Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Uh, His career began with a stand-in work for John Wayne in the 1960s, and he went on to amass over 100 television and film credits spanning six decades. Other films of Wilbur's resume as a stuntman, stunt double, and stunt coordinator include Planet of the Apes, 1968, Blazing Saddles, The Towering Inferno, Grizzly, Escape from New York, Poltergeist, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, The Beastmaster, Firestarter, 1984, Ghostbusters, Reanimator, 
Fletch, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, The Monster Squad, Dead Heat, Die Hard, The Burbs, Ghostbusters 2, A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, Total Recall, The Exorcist 3, The Sounds of the Lambs, Cast a Deadly Spell, Mr. Giggles, Casino, Mars Attacks, Spider-Man 2002, and Cheap Thrills. The list goes on from there. So, he survived by his daughter, Gina Wilbur. Um, yeah, sad news. I mean, 81... 81's... It's decent. It's decent innings, that is. Um, I, I really enjoyed Halloween 4, and I really enjoy Halloween 6. Halloween 4's Michael is only let down, really, by the mask design. It's a bit wide and flat. It's a bit kind of featureless. And I, guess, I guess that's part of the Michael Myers appearance is it's hiding features, it's zero emotion. But yeah, I mean, his performance, I mean, I'm one of those dullards that's seen all the Halloween films, seen the Friday the 13th films. Um, I don't necessarily notice much difference in performance. Like, I get some people who are like, oh, this guy's better because they had the walk or this guy had the presence. I mean, some Michaels were taller than others. Some were larger than others, like waistline-wise. Um, <laughs> no one's a noticeably bad Michael. The only one that kind of stands out as a bit eh, is uh, Tyler Mayne from the Rob Zombie films, just because all of a sudden Michael Myers is a monster Braun Strowman-type size man. Um, who is grunting a lot and throwing people around like they are ragdolls. But no, sad news. R.I.P. R.I.P., sorry, George P. Wilbur. And that wraps up the news for tonight's show. So we're going to move on to the reviews. Um, and yeah, like I say, it's going to be a short show. We don't have a main event of uh, topic of discussion for tonight, but um, I'm fine with that. Gets on to the... <laughs> the post-show watch party a wee bit quicker so as i said in the last week or so i have watched a few films when i've not been reading <laughs> reading or working um and the first of these i watched uh, just uh, probably about a week ago just coming up to a week ago um it came out i think just over a week ago on vod and let me find the details because i know nothing about this film <laughs> And that is the 2023 film, There's Something Wrong with the Children. It's an American horror film directed by Roxanne Benjamin, um, who's previously directed Body at Brighton Rocks, and there's something about this, um, and produced the horror anthology films VHS and VHS 2, which are two of the best in the, in the whole series. Um, and the film was also written by TJ Kimphill and David White. The film stars Alicia Wainwright, uh, Zach Guilford, who's appearing in everything at the moment. Um, Zach Guilford's in Midnight Mass, and his most currently seen is um, Elias. Well, his name's Elias, I can't remember. He's currently appearing as one of the main characters in Criminal Minds Evolution, which is very, very good. Uh, and he was in The Midnight Club, but again, I'm very slow on watching The Midnight Club. Um, also, Amanda Crew. Oh, yes, I recognise her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was in Sex Drive, which is a pretty decent kind of forgotten 2000s comedy. Um, along with Carlos Santos. Jason Blum was an executive producer through his Blumhouse television banner. 
Uh, so this was released digitally in the US on January 17th by Paramount Home Entertainment. And March 17th, it's going to be coming out on MGM+. Plus. So, the plot. Margaret and Ben take a weekend trip with longtime friends Ellie and Thomas and their two young children. Eventually, Ben begins to suspect something supernatural is occurring when the kids behave strangely after disappearing into the woods overnight. Now that is downplaying things uh, a fair bit. That is downplaying things a fair bit. So essentially, these two couples of chums, they go way back, it seems, although there appears to be a bit of animosity, um, you know, between uh, Thomas and... Um, and his wife, and also Ben and um, Margaret. You do find out why that is, why he's been a bit of a knob. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Thomas and Ellie have these two kids, and they, they're visiting at this, this massive cabin, which is not really clear if they're all just having to stay there, or if they live nearby, or what exactly, or if, you know, Margaret and Ben own this cabin. Not really too clear on that, which is a little bit confusing. Uh, but they're like, they're, they're hanging out, they're like, you know, the parents getting together to drink, and the kids are just doing what kids do. And they go out exploring the woodland area nearby, and they find these old ruins. And in the ruins, the kids are drawn to this pit, this hole. Um, and it's kind of almost got a hold on them, so they're just staring in at it, um, almost leaning into it. Um, and uh, Margaret and Ben offer to watch the kids for the night because Ellie and Thomas, they're having some issues, marital issues. Basically, and this isn't a spoiler because this comes out in the first 20 minutes, basically... Uh, at one sort of party with some of their other friends, uh, Ellie and Thomas were going to enter into a four-way, but it became more of a two-and-a-half-way. So I basically think Ellie had the fun and Thomas did not, if you catch my drift. Um, so that's why there's a little bit of animals to do there. Um, so they watch the kids. And the kids go missing in the night. And something happens at this pit in the forest, which looks insane. Um, the kids return, but they are not the same as when they left. They are dickheads now. <laughs> more, so, more so than they were before. Um, this, this film looks good. Uh, the performances in it, are, in it are generally pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to be critical of the kids. Um, David Mattel, I believe, has uh, played Spencer and Briella Guaza as Lucy. I'm not going to be critical of them. They did a good. They they did a good enough job. Um, and you know, I can't imagine it's very easy being a kid actor because you're a kid. They did a good enough job. Okay, but the the story. For an hour and a half film, it's, it, it, it rapidly starts to drag in, in the second half. It has this interesting premise, but then it takes a bit of a turn and leaves you kind of thinking, okay, what's the point? Hmm. And when it gets to the finale, when things are reaching their 
their climax when you know the 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 plan the plot what has occurred what is wrong with these kids is kind of becoming a bit more apparent it's a bit silly uh, and i'm normally all for a bit of silly if it's done in a way that's creepy no i i i I can't. It's such a shame because, like I said, I mean, the acting was decent. Amanda Crew, I'm familiar with. Zach Guilford is in a lot of stuff recently, and he is very good. Um, but yeah, but near the end of it, I was just kind of waiting for the film to be finished. I don't really. I don't. You know, I, I don't review films that highly very often, which is, <laughs> which is a shame. I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm not trying to be elitist at all. Um, but this wasn't. This wasn't great. I was kind of waiting for it to to end, um, you know, when I was when I was watching it. So, there's something wrong with the children. Gonna give it five point five out of ten. Uh, it looks good. The setup is decent. The the ruins, you know, I'd I'd be interested to learn a bit more about the ruins. I'd be interested to know if the ruins and the whole. If it was just coincidental that the ruins were built on this hole, and what's in the hole, or what's alluded to be in the hole, there's intrigue there. Um, I just kind of felt that narratively it kind of shit the bed a bit halfway through, which is a bit of a shame. Um, it's not great, unfortunately. Had a lot of promise, and I, I became aware of the film, I think, through doing the show last year. I think it might have been one of the new films coming up uh, announced. Uh, but also the King's Cast, which is a Fangoria podcast, all about Stephen King, and they have a lot of celebrity guests on there or guests in the horror medium. And uh, one of them was Roxanne Benjamin, um, and they were doing a lot of promotion for her film. There's something wrong with the children. So the direction I think is fine. I think it's just maybe the script. The script is just a bit sh shit halfway through. <laughs> Uh, it just kind of feels like one of those films where they had an idea for a premise, but not necessarily a route to go with it. Which I'm not going to negate too much. I am, at the moment, doing a, doing a bit of writing. Um, you know, I kind of thought, it's been a couple of years since I wrote a short story that was published in uh, Diary of Delirium. Um, so why not just write a whole book of short stories? I always put off writing a novel because I was just, oh God, it's such a bloody task. And I wouldn't want to write a novel that's only like 30, 40 pages long, which some, sometimes does occur. Um, but yeah, I, I can understand writing with an idea to start with and not planning it out ahead because Stephen King, for example, more often than not, he doesn't know where the stories are going to go with the characters. He might have ideas of things he wants to include, but he just kind of writes and sees where it goes. And you could argue that sometimes that's apparent with some of his endings, because it's almost a bit of a cliche. But yeah, there's something wrong with the kids. Something wrong with the children. Sorry, 5.5 out of 10. It's not great. <laughs> uh, next up, we have uh, a film that I was intrigued to watch. When I first saw the announcements of it in the kind of the BuzzFeed sort of trailers with all the dancing in it, I thought, oh, God, this doesn't look like my sort of thing at all. It looks a bit... Yeah. Um, but this is a lot of fun. It's a it's a pretty funny well it's not a comedy, but it's just it's a fun thriller, horror type film. And that is Megan or M Threegan. Depending on how you wanna excuse me. How you wanna look at it. Uh and that's about, that's an acronym for Model 3 Generative Android. I don't know where the N is, unless they're just saying an 
Metroid for Megan. Um, this is a 2022 American science fiction horror film directed by Gerard Johnston. Um, don't know if I recognise that name. No, not familiar with any of his other things. And written by Akila Cooper from a story by Cooper and James Wan, who also produced with Jason Blum. Stars Alison Williams, who I remember from College Humor, but she was also in Get Out. Um, and Girls bunch of other stuff um from a story blah, blah, blah. she along with violet mcgraw um along with amy donald who physically portrays megan and jenna davis voices the character uh its plot follows the eponymous artificial intelligent doll who develops self-awareness and becomes hostile towards anyone who comes between her and her human companion uh, oh, a sequel's already been announced, titled Megan 2.0, scheduled for release in 2025, with Williams and McGraw reprising their roles and Cooper returning to write the script. Okay. I don't hate that. I don't hate that. Uh, so, this film... Yeah, it's good. It's good. So, uh, Violet McGraw plays Katie. Callie Katie. And at the start of the film, her parents are involved in a traumatic accident, which leaves her being placed in the care of her aunt, um, who is Gemma, who's a roboticist. Um, she lives alone um, and is quite, I guess you could say, clinical, quite particular. Uh, you know, keeping things tidy and clean, don't take toys out of the boxes, you know, they're collectibles and all this stuff. But she's making all these awesome toys. Um, she even made toys with her, the company that she works for, to give to her niece. Um, and she is kind of, Gemma is kind of struggling to give the attention to Katie that an orphaned kid does need, you know. They can't just be left to their own devices while you're working. But ultimately, when you've got deadlines and you're working in a high-pressure environment they're not going to be entirely understanding for you to take a long, long amount of time out, especially when, you know, a deadline is approaching. So, uh, Gemma had been working on this prototype of uh, of Megan, and she has a bit of a eureka moment and, um, and, and puts ahead, kind of without her company's knowledge, because she's been building it without the company's knowledge initially, the doll as a companion for Katie. Um, it kind of links with her, with her... It kind of links with her like fingerprint and then it's connected to the internet so it's always updating itself and learning and whatnot. And it's going to be the new hit artificial intelligence toy because of just how smart this Megan is. But as it's learning more and it becomes incredibly protective of KD, it starts getting quite malicious. Um, and that's where a lot of the fun comes from. Because the performance of Megan is, I mean, it always seems cliche when it's like, oh, it's the new Chucky and uh, oh, it's going to give uh, Chucky or whatever a run for their money. Um, oh, hey, Voodoo Rocks. Lawrence in the chat. How's it going? It always sounds cl cliche when it's, you know, that they're going to be the next big thing. But really, it's a unique look for Megan. Uh, she's very snappy in her responses and she's a badass in her moments there's a scene which is a bit of a cliche not a cliche it's a bit overdone in the trailers i should say of megan dancing in this hallway but it's almost the start of her going on a bit of a rampage it's it's in the final third of the film 
Uh, but that moment is actually quite funny because she's uh, dancing around this hallway and then grabs this uh, blade from a paper cut and just tears it off and, and goes in pursuit of this uh, this particular character. But this is a decent film. I mean... Violet McGraw as Katie does a good performance. You know, she looks very sullen and down earlier in the film because her parents just died in a car crash. Um, and then later on, as it's kind of becoming apparent that it's, this Megan is maybe not necessarily good for her, she plays bratty very well because she gets very sassy and back chatty with, uh, with Gemma um, and, you know, kicking off when she's separated from Megan. So it's kind of further sort of portraying this story of if you try to replace... A, a parental influence or a human contact influence with AI, then that child is going to become more and more insular and not connect with with their peers. And it's one of the things of school, you know, you you have to interact with with people your own age and, and develop because that's how you learn social skills. And if you don't have that, it's going to fuck you up, or it's going to make you very, very introverted later in life. Now, there's nothing wrong with being introverted. I'm pretty introverted. I like my own space, and I'm not a huge crowds person. I could deal with it, but I know that's not, you know, obviously for everyone. But I guess if you haven't had that experience of real-world interactions and people and learning and developing, then it's just going to... It's not good. It's not going to be a good a good story. I mean, just look at Michael Jackson. <laughs> That's a tale of that. Um, so, with with Megan, is this better than there's something wrong with children? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the hour and a half for this film flew by, really, I, I found. Um, and like I say, it's fun. It is a fun film. They're already planning uh, planning the next film, um, setting that for 2025, as we said. I think that's kind of smart. We've seen it before when a film becomes a success, a mega hit, and a sequel is greenlit like that and rushed out. And when a film comes out a year after the prior film, very rarely, unless it's a huge studio and they've been planning these films years and years in advance. Very rarely does it come off you know, well. You can look at Marvel in its peak time. That worked because they had, they had the films planned out like 10 years in advance. And regardless of my feelings on Marvel films of the last few years, you know, in, in its peak period, it worked. <clears throat> but then you've seen with horror you know, a number of times, Halloween 4 to Halloween 5, film gets rushed out within a year and you don't have a solid script you don't you know it doesn't take five it doesn't it's not a case of you know oh, i can film it in a couple of weeks and job done if you want it to be good you need to have those planning stages get the script right get the cast in place and you know, all that stuff so 2025 that seems wise that 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 makes sense to me so my score for megan meg Thregan, i'm gonna give a solid 7.5 out of 10 uh, it's decent. It's, you know, it's not very bloody, which, you know, my horror doesn't have to be bloody. I'm pretty easy with, I, I like psychological scares and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't have to be OTT in that regard. Um, I do feel it's a bit more of a thriller than an out-and-out horror. You know, there's no moments where it's just like, oh, scary, you know, jumpy or gets under your skin. 
Um, but you know, it, it, it flows nicely. This film flows nicely. It's 102 minutes is the actual running time. So yeah, 7.5 out of 10. So that leads us on to the final film to review of tonight. And the main kind of, I guess, talking point, if we want to... If we want to look at it like that, is the new release on Shudder as of yesterday, and it's been in the cinema in America, not over here. I only doubt we'd ever get in the cinema over here. Skinnamarink. So, this has been getting a lot of buzz recently. A lot of talk of it being, oh, it's incredibly scary, it's so freaky. But with that being said, as mentioned, it's it's got up to 1.9 million in its US box office run of a limited release. Bear in mind, this was made for $15,000, which, I mean, $15,000, which is about probably about 14, 15,000 pounds because of the conversion at the moment. For me and you, it's probably a lot of money if to physically kind of own and hold in our bank account on our hands. But in terms of making a film, that's an incredibly small budget, incredibly small. Um, so that is a huge accomplish accomplishment to make that return. Yeah, so that's a massive, that's massive. But with the praise and with the hype comes an air of crit critical review, okay? And this is getting incredibly mixed reviews. Some people love it and say it's really freaky and really kind of really terrifying it gives you a new reason to be afraid of the dark is one of the a lot of the plug lines that are going about in the media today other reviews oh fucking this was released by bayview entertainment and i didn't even know that so sorry i'm just looking on the um the details for distribution that is incredible so i noticed on a lot of the Twitter publishing things. There's a guy, um, I, I won't say his name, who would be involved in a lot of the tweeting about it. And I thought, why don't I conference call with him? Like, the name looks similar. The face looks similar, but it doesn't mention Bayview on their Twitter profile at all. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily know if that was, if that was the case. But yeah, so awesome. It's been distributed by Bayview Entertainment, IFC Midnight, and Shudder. So I'm going to have to give them a congrats email, because that is, that is awesome. Anyway, um, with, with its release, there's been a lot of divisiveness for the reviews. Now, we've talked before last year, and I'm not going to name the name, because I've already named it once on this show, and I said we weren't going to talk about it anymore, uh, about divisive horror films, where some people love it, some people absolutely hate it. There's not often a true middle ground because you know you're either in one camp or the other unfortunately but i do obviously believe you can still have a a, a nice discourse you don't have to go into mudslinging talking about these things um <laughs> brown's got it in the chat um but some people absolutely hate this film so i've watched this kind of in two parts um, I'd watched a link to it last week, a, a, a part of the link, and I watched a bit more of that finished off tonight before going live with the show. 
So this is an experimental horror film, and I cannot stress enough that this is an experimental horror film. Written and directed by Carl Edward Ball in his feature debut, the film follows two children who wake up during the night to discover that they cannot find their father, and that the windows, doors, and other objects in their house are disappearing. Prior to the production of Skin and Rink, uh, Ball ran a YouTube channel where he would upload videos based on nightmares recounted by commenters. His 2020 short film Heck was developed as a proof of concept for Skinamarink. Skinamarink was shot on digital in Bull's childhood home in Edmonton, Canada. Premieres on the 26th Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal on July 25th, 2022, and went on screen at other film festivals. Uh, it received a theatrical release in the United States and Canada via IFC Midnight on January 13th, and is set to be released on the horror streaming service Shudder on February 2nd. The film was a box office success, grossing $1.5 million over a $15,000 budget. It received generally positive reviews from critics who ca characterised it as drawing upon experiences of childhood fear, though it received polarising responses from audiences. And I think that's the key, the key thing really here, is the polarising responses from the audiences. Um... And I, I think that's probably more tantamount to your general cinema goer. This is a very niche film. And I'm someone who we've I've done a show on, on David Lynch before. He's not for everyone. I've watched a number of David Lynch films. Couldn't tell you what they actually meant or what they really were about for a lot of them. But I had a great time watching them for the most part. I've still not seen all of his films. You know, Inland Empire, I've still not seen them. That's probably one of his meant to be up there as one of his weirdest um but you know his films aren't narratively straightforward uh visually they're very intriguing but not they're not you know start middle end straightforward stories skinnamarink is i don't know really what to describe with the story um it's such a strange film and it really will try your patience depending on on how you view film. For me, I feel like I potentially have undiagnosed ADHD, maybe. Because I do, uh, and I don't know if that's more of a, a thing of t today's era where I will resort to going on my phone a fair bit. Which is a really bad habit. I've, I've even had it before and I've watched something like The Godfather and I've put my phone in a different room just to stop me from picking it up and going, just, you know, without even thinking about it, just picking it up and scrolling on it. But this did, at times, try my patience. So to give you an idea of what the film looks like, um, if you're watching the live feed, there's a, a very kind of blurry upside down image on the screen, the poster artwork, and that's kind of the appearance of it. It's got this really, really film grain film damage look to it like it was filmed on like a cheap eight millimeter camera that's been left in someone's garage for a number of years i quite liked that because you get these moments of just shots down long hallways long dark hallways and the light will play tricks on your eyes if you think about it if you've ever just i don't know looked looked down a hallway and while your eyes are adjusting to the you know a dark hallway while your eyes are adjusting to the darkness it will kind of the images will kind of feel like they're moving where it's just the, the different levels of darkness and how your eyes are 
I don't really know where I'm trying to go with that, but how your eyes are adjusting to it. You do get moments of that in this film. That being said, it's it's just such a strange. It's 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 unique. I'll give it that. It is unique, but it's such a strange film. A lot, a lot of the shots, the vast majority of the shots, are static shots. It almost feels like a weird, intrusive kind of CCTV at times. It's it's not, you know. But just, you mix with these shots of like low angle shots of like a hallway, like 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And then maybe a voiceover of like a child or someone saying, Mommy? With this staticky sound. That's throughout the film, there's this. Sh- I don't know if, you can, if that's picking that up, but this kind of statically white noise sound makes sense with the appearance of it. It does look like you're watching like a really old VHS, which, you know, seen better days. Bad recording of something. That all does make sense. Aesthetically, it does work. Um, and you get these moments where you're lulled into waiting for something to happen, and then you'll get like a sound like a sudden shot, like a sort of sound or a little kind of scream or something but it's it's an obtuse film it's so tough to say that this is brilliant i didn't find for me i didn't find myself scared at all personally um so these new but i do i I get it when it there's these reports of it gives you a new fear of the dark because there are these moments where you're just looking and thinking, oh, it just looks like there's something there. Or I don't think that there's anything there. Um, there's moments, the, the, the handful of moments where the camera does actually move, as in forwards and around, it's kind of like it's POV, like it's found footage maybe. There's a moment where one of the characters, one of the little kids, the boy or the girl, goes into a parent's bedroom where the dad is sat on the bed. You never see anyone's face in this film either. They're always like the heads are looking away or something, which is quite strange, but I get that's part of it. And um, it kind of feels like, okay, is this first person now? Or is this always them filming and it's found footage? But there's lots of these shots of just a hallway or a door frame. There's a moment in the in the bathroom where you're just seeing this on the, from a very low angle, this this toilet in the bathroom. And then the toilet disappears. And then there's another moment where you're seeing like a, a hallway with a door in it. And that goes zoom, sound does that and the, the doorway's disappeared. So, but again, it's one of those films where I'm just left at the end of it going I I get that it's one of those films where it's up to your interpretation. Up to you as the viewer to decide what was actually happening. There's a moment earlier on when the 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 father is heard talking about the kid, the, the boy, uh, hit his head or has a fever or something. So you can ask the question of, is this from the kid's point of view? Has the kid died? Is the kid um, concussed or something? And this is their interpretation of how things are occurring. Have they actually woken up in a nightmare world? Um, and I get that. Like I say, I like I like David Lynch. I don't need my hand held. I don't need to be told what is occurring in the film. Um, 
but in those films there's always something to draw me in it's either the the music david lynch's films always have a very unique music feel even like lost highway which is a bit more kind of like alt 90s david bowie sort of nine inch nailsy pop rock type stuff is lost highway is an odd film which is saying something but i still enjoyed it uh this though you don't really have any music at all you can't really praise any performances because you don't really see any performances. More often than not, it's the back of someone's head or more often just like someone's feet walking by or, you know, a wall. Um, so again, I'll go back that it's incredible that it's made such a return on its initial budget. Like, this is awesome. And props to this being a Bayview film because I genuinely didn't know that Bayview were involved in this and this is making a lot of kind of headway so I'm going to have to give those guys props. Going to have to drop them a message and say, you know, Congrats, dudes. Had no idea that this was one of your films. Well done, guys. Uh, Fran, I'm getting the impression this may have been overhyped a little bit then. 100%, Fran. 100%. Um, I feel that that's potentially to its detriment because, like I say, it's an experimental kind of avant-garde almost-esque film. This is not your general, you know... It's not like one of your under-the-radar horrors where you've got, you know, the usual sort of performances that you could get. You know, it's not something like It Follows, where I'd never heard of it being in production or anything about it. Happened to catch it on TV one night, thought, this is fucking incredible. Um, you know, or or some other things where you hear some hype for it and you watch it and go, wow, that was actually brilliant. Because this is such a strange film... I do feel that it is going to be... It's good that it's getting eyes on it, and I love that, especially it being, like I say, Bayview, you know. More power to those guys. I wish them all the success. Um, and I, I wish I'd have found this film, because then I'd be getting a little bit of commission for every sale, but I didn't even know that this they were involved in it. Um, but that being said, it's it's the kind of film where your Joe Public, your Joe Public horror fan, will probably fucking hate it, unfortunately. Um, I I found myself very intrigued going into it just because the initial trailer doesn't tell you anything, doesn't give anything away, and I just thought, "Oh, this looks fucking creepy. This looks interesting." Um, it has its moments. I'm not being, I'm not trying to be super down on it. I'm kind of almost trying to temper expectations from. Horror fans similar to me, you know. I mean, we've all got our different preferences in horror. There's some things where, you know, we will have a similar taste on things. And other things where, well, I prefer this and you may prefer something different, you know, that kind of thing. But I just feel that the average non-arty horror fan or film cinema goer may go into this thinking oh man i can't fucking wait this i'm so hyped and watch it which is awesome the more views great you know what if you're gonna watch this watch it legally either at the cinema if it's still at the cinema in america or now on shudder you know support independent film definitely because otherwise we'll just be left with rinse and repeat you know triple a blockbusters which have their moments um but I feel if you go into watching this expecting to be scared shitless, you may you may get those scares 
but just be prepared to stare at a wall for 20 minutes or so or just have shots that stay static for a minute or so at a time with nothing really occurring probably probably really about five minutes total dialogue in the entire film i think is probably actually accurate it's lines every so often in between static um so this is really incredibly difficult for me to review and you know not because of it being bayview because like i said i only actually found that out a minute ago and i kind of had the score in my head of what i wanted to give it i think giving it anything with a four or lower is harsh because it's different it's unique there's nothing else that i've really seen being released recently like it at all it really did try my patience though at times um in terms of me thinking fucking hell this is and it's not a short film either it's the kind of film that i think could have been could have been 65 to 70 minutes maybe at a push 75 you know it's 100 minutes so it is one hour 40 it's not like a two-hour film of course but it's not short short and i just feel as well that with this type of film there's got to be a bit more level of engagement in my opinion personally so that being said it can't start with a four because i think it has to be given some props for its artistic merits there are also a couple of creepy scenes in this like I, i've mentioned there are some creepy scenes in this film i also don't feel i can rate this lower than there's something wrong with the children because while there's something wrong with the children looked good it had some good acting in it you know in a more traditional sense it had an interesting premise it shit the bed in the second half this is unique it is creepy at times but it's just you know if you're if you're a bit more maybe open-minded to that experimental style you may absolutely love this so i will just say give it a watch but for me i'm gonna i'm probably gonna have to rate it on par with um there's something wrong with the children at 5.5 two very different films two incredibly different films but mm, yeah i i can't uh i i and i didn't even go into this with high expectations because well i kind of did to a degree i guess the hype there was a little bit of the hype train just because my my hype was tempered because of the polarizing reviews right the people saying they fucking loved it the people saying i hated it that did temper my expectations down a bit but the trailer did intrigue me so i did have an, an element of hype which may be may be attributed to a little bit of the disappointment but the, the disappointment i suppose was more just the style of the film long shots just at nothing some of them built dread some of them just fucking didn't <laughs> unfortunately so i'm gonna give it 5.5 out of 10 but watch it make up your own mind um if if you're intrigued that way you may have to read up on wikipedia what the plot actually was and what happened which i did and i would say it doesn't necessarily make any more sense <laughs> 
it doesn't it doesn't in my opinion um okay well that is it for today's return but short show um i will hit stop recording shortly just for the recording uh for the audio and i'll, I'll mess around with the audio at the weekend and all that stuff but we will continue with um with the watch party which we normally do most fridays so that said i'm gonna bring a bit of music which i probably should have done once i hit stop but this could be a little bit of a lead into the stop because the stop is just going to kind of stop flat like that we're not paying the usual end of show you know um mos uh, mos music which i do love the mos music do, 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 do. yeah you, you know it um but if this is where we are leaving things on an audio platform or if this is where you want to end things on a twitch platform i appreciate you watching be sure to check out the show twitch.tv forward slash tezius um every other tuesday to be sure you're up to date with it check out the discord i don't know how to share a link for the discord but follow the show on twitter at ministry underscore horror and you'll get a heads up when uh, when the show is going to be coming back which will be in two weeks two weeks today so uh marking your calendars friday the 17th will be the next show and i'll try and i'll try and uh percolate an interesting discussion for that show to talk about um but yeah we are gonna leave the show there